welcome to HSM, you guys. I am so glad you guys are here. Um, if you will, just for a moment, turn to the person next to you and tell them what you feel about the rain. If you like it, if you hate it, just talk to them about, do you like the rain? Is it amazing? Okay, raise your hand if you love the rain. Raise your hand if you love it. You want more of it. There's not enough of it. Okay, raise your hand if you hate the rain. If it never rained, you would be happy. Okay, not as many of you. So it looks like we have some rain lovers in here. Oh, it's so good, so good. Well, uh, we are actually talking a little bit today about rain, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, okay, I got to start off here. Do any of you guys make pinky promises? Pinky promises. I feel like I grew up making a lot of pinky promises, right? That is when, yeah, you, you go like this and you're like, Kristen, promise that you'll not tell anyone that I told you I like that boy or whatever that might be, right? And they're like, I promise. Well, I was looking into this, guys. Did you know that like the origin of the pinky promise is like basically if the person breaks it, they can break your pinky? Did you know that? I actually did, I honestly did not know that because that would have changed the game for me and my sisters if we know that you could break the person's pinky if they broke the promise. But even today, I was talking to a couple girls after main service and I was like, guys, you guys should go, there's a prayer room after first service in between first and second service. There's a prayer room that people go get prayer and I was like, you girls should go get prayer. They come to first service every single week and I was like, you guys should come get prayer at some point. And I was like, will you promise me either this week or next week you'll go into the prayer room? So we all did like the little pinky promises. And if they break that promise, I'm not gonna go break their pinky, right? But it does decrease my trust, right? If they're saying, I promise, like I for sure will do that, and then they don't do it, there's something there, like a lack of trust. But so many of us, I remember some of my first, my earliest memories of making pinky promises were about not telling someone something. So me and my sisters would make a pinky promise. I promise I won't tell mom and dad that. Or I promise I'll never tell anyone that you, you told me that. And you make this pinky promise. And there's, there's a, a punishment. If you don't keep that promise, then there's a lack of trust. And maybe there's even some repercussions too. Maybe if you make a pinky promise with a friend and they break that promise, you decide, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be friends with them anymore. Or I'm going to shut them out in some way. Or they're not invited to something. And today we are, this whole series, this over the next uh, five more weeks, and we started this last week, we are talking about God who is a promise keeper. He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. Underneath your chairs, you're going to see a little card, and it's going to be like a fill in the blank like we had last week, and it just helps you stay along on track as to what we're talking about. And maybe some of you are doodlers, and feel free to doodle uh, around on that piece of paper. But you're going to have notes here that are going to track along with my message. And if you're in the back row, you might not have some. And so you might need to go grab another one from a different chair. But those first two items are God is a promise maker. God is a promise maker. And God is a promise keeper. And his promises are unique. And they're called covenants. A covenant does anyone remember from last week what Tony defined covenant as? If they could share it even out loud. What is a covenant? It's okay if you don't get it all correct. What is a covenant? Yeah, Jared. 
A promise, that's right. And it's a promise between two people. That is exactly right. A covenant is a promise between two parties. And God's promises that he makes to his people, we are going to find that he never, ever, ever breaks them. God is a promise maker unlike any of us could ever be. So many of us have, have broken promises, even maybe over the past week, but certainly over the past lifetime. But God, since the beginning of eternity, has made promises that he has never broken. And these promises are called covenants. It's a, relation, a relational promise between two parties. It's a covenant. It's something that establishes the relationship, establishes the promise, and then the consequences of that promise. And last week, we talked about a covenant between God and who? Does anyone remember who God was making a covenant between? Adam. Adam and Eve. That is right. And we call it the Adamic covenant. So that's the first covenant. And does anyone remember what God, what his promise was to Adam? What was God's promise to Adam? Yeah, Caleb. Give it a try. That's exactly right. God, yes, that is exactly right, Caleb, that Jesus would come, and he didn't quite name it like that, um, but he hinted at it, right? He said, there's going to be a wounded victor, someone who's coming to save you. And even like, like a step before that, God said he establishes the relationship between him and Adam, and he says, you are mine. God makes Adam and Eve in his own image, saying, you are mine, actually declaring that all of humanity is God's. So we are his. But Adam and Eve stepped outside and they broke that promise by saying, God, I don't want to be yours. I want to be only responsible for myself. And so I'm going to step outside of that promise. And the covenant was broken by Adam and Eve, by them taking the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and saying, I'm going to decide what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. I'm not going to be God's. I'm not going to be God's child. And God says, although you, Adam and Eve, although you broke your side of the covenant, I'm going to keep my side up of the, of the covenant. I'm going to keep my side of the promise up. And that side of the promise is to make Adam and Eve and all of humanity his again through sending his son to die for their sins, to die for all of our sins, so that we might be back in right relationship with God again. So that is the first covenant that was established God saying, you are mine. And today, we are talking about a story with Noah. And the distance, the time between when Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden, when they broke the promise and God said, I need distance from you, but there will be a time when we get to be back together again. From that point up until where we're going to pick up in the story, there's about 700 years in between then and, and where we're picking up this story. 700 years of people creating civilization, creating culture, creating families, creating food, creating language. And what we find is in those 700 years, everything goes awry. Like all chaos breaks loose. This is absolute chaos on earth because there are people who are on earth and every single one of them are apart from God. None of them have the presence of God with them. 
and they are turning just to themselves, to their own self-interest. And we see humanity on display in its very worst state. I'm going to read in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. If you have your Bibles, you can pull them out. If you would like a Bible, there's some Bibles back in this corner or on this side. We're going to be reading scripture today. Genesis 6, 5 through 8, it says this, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, listen to that, and every single intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine if every single one of the thoughts of your heart was only evil continually? Like there was never a thought, oh, I, I could make cookies for my small group this week. There was never a thought, oh man, I really love this person because of who they are, not what they can do for me. None of those thoughts existed in the hearts of man. Can you imagine a, a, a civilization built upon those humans? Horrifying. It says in verse 6, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Why does it grieve him? Because he sees his children and he says, oh, you're supposed to be mine. I'm supposed to be able, I'm supposed to protect you, but you stepped outside of this family. You stepped outside of this covenant. And now you're not protected by God and you're off on your own. And he is grieved by that. It, it pains him. So the Lord said, I will blot out man meaning like I will destroy humanity, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Oh, can you imagine like a, a creator of, of some artwork who makes a painting and the painting itself comes alive and it ends up destroying itself? And the creator saying, I wish I had never even made this painting because it grieves me to watch this painting destroy itself. These are my children. I don't want to see them destroy themselves. So God is saying, I'm, I'm sorry that I even created man. But says in verse 8, there's this like little mini firefly of a light bulb in this created world. And that's Noah. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There is something about Noah that was unlike everyone around him that God said, he has some capacity to be in relationship with me. There is something good in Noah. And so God found favor in Noah. And what we know as like the, the childhood stories of the Bible have told us is that over the next However many years, Adam starts, sorry, Noah starts to build this ark, this massive boat, and he starts to call animals two by two, a male and a female animal, and put them on, a, on this boat, and he grabs his family, his wife and his kids, and his kids' spouses, and they get on this boat, and then the rains come. And man... Long Beach, California, you finally know what rain looks like. <laughs> Torrential downpour, like atmospheric river level, right? When did that term actually come into existence? I think this week. Um, but it, it is truly what happened. The, the, the floods that came down were the atmospheric rivers that we experienced times a million. 
there was sheets of rain for 40 days. I mean, we experienced a glimpse of this in California over the past few weeks. 90% of California was under a flood watch last week. We have gotten five times more, five times more rain than what we're used to. And some of you are like, five times more, that's not a big deal. Imagine if you went to go babysit and you get $15 an hour and you babysit for one hour, right? And you walk away with $15. Imagine next year you go babysitting and you get five times more. Quick math, you walk away with $75 in one hour. You're like, that's a big difference. You don't walk away with $15 after babysitting. You walk away with $75. That is like the quantity of massive amounts of rain. Usually we get one-fifth of what we've gotten this year already. In fact, uh, Mammoth Mountain, anybody snowboarder or skier in here? Mammoth Mountain has gotten 337 inches of snow. That's 30 feet of snow. Like that's like higher than three-story buildings. Tanglewood, this building next to us over there, I think it's three stories, 30 feet of snow this year in Mammoth. That is a lot of water in the form of ice. That is a lot of water. Imagine that the entire earth is covered with this thick, deep ocean from rain. So much so that it floats an entire boat with a family and a lot of animals on it. And for 40 days, it continues to rain. And then what we know in the story is that it took about six months for the, for the waters to subside to the point where there was even dry land. You notice outside maybe that there's maybe some like more rain in the gutters and maybe your front lawn, I know ours is, it has about like an inch of rain still on it. The, the ground hasn't soaked it up yet. In a similar way, Adam, sorry, I keep saying that, Noah, Noah was on the ark with his family and all these animals, and it took six months for all of this water to find its way into the ground so that there would be dry land for him and his family to, to get off on. Okay, so that is where we find ourselves in this story. And Noah has an encounter with God. And this is the covenant that God establishes with with Noah. In chapter 9, verse 11, I'll read this. It says, I establish my covenant, right? Remember this promise between two parties. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. This first point is that covenant, covenant made. There was a covenant that was made. And the question underneath is, what did God promise Adam? I keep writing Adam and meaning Noah. I am so sorry. Those two men are the same in my mind. You can cross that out and say, what did God promise Noah? God promised Noah that he will never destroy the entire earth again. Which to some of you, you might be like, well, duh, like, thank goodness. But some of us truly, in the midst of some chaos, look around us and wonder, 
will the great earthquake that is coming, will it, will it destroy the entire earth? Or will there be another flood? Will the rains ever stop? But God has promised that he will never again destroy the entire earth. He preserves the world. He's promised to preserve the world. And the significance of this is that God is promising to use this stage, this earth, as, this, as the rock upon which the redemption story will unfold. God has promised that it's going to be this place. He's not going to destroy this place, and he's not going to destroy all of humanity. He is promising that this is the stage upon which the redemption story is going to unfold. What is the redemption story? We go back to Adam. The redemption story is the promise fulfilled that he will make us his again. God is going to work with what he's got. He's going to work with humanity. He's going to work with the descendants of Noah. He's going to say, yep, good enough. I'm going to work with that. He's going to look at all of creation. He's going to say, yep, I'm sticking to this one. I'm not going to go out and find a different rock in this universe that I have created to create humanity once again and try this thing over again. No, he says, nope. I'm doing it with this one. I'm doing it with this stage, this rock, this earth, these people. This is who I'm doing it with. It kind of reminds me of that moment if you've ever been on a really bad sports team, or maybe it's like a really bad class or club or something where there's a leader, and you look at them and you're like, you have every reason to quit on us. You have every reason to go to a different team and coach a better team, or to go, to go to a different club and lead a different club. Or maybe it's like to go to a different group of friends. Maybe there's like a leader of a friend group. You're like, you have every reason to leave this friend group and go to a different friend group that seems a lot more intact. You have every reason to do it. But for some reason, they stick around. And that feeling of being chosen, oh, there's nothing like it. Being like, no, my coach, they knew we were in shambles, but they still chose us. I even think of my youth group growing up. I grew up at a youth group when I was in sixth grade. We have about six, eight kids in our youth group. And this youth pastor, he actually came out from California. Fun fact, he was a youth pastor in Long Beach. That's actually one of the ways that I ended up here. He came out to Connecticut, was my youth pastor, and he told these stories of this massive youth group that he led, like two, 300 kids. And he's telling it to a group of 10 of us. And I thought to myself, why is he here? He could be anywhere else. But weekly, he would get in front of us and he would even get on one knee and he would say, I don't just love you guys, I actually like you. <laughs> There's something about that, looking at this grown man who had chosen Greenwich, Connecticut, of all places, a youth group of 10 kids, and he believed that God was going to do something incredible with us. And he said, no, I'm not going to leave until my work is done here. By the time I was a senior in high school, there was over 100 kids in our youth group. And that is not because of the work that he did, but it is his faithfulness to that group and his belief that God was going to do something great. And that is the God we serve. He is a God who has said, no, I'm not going to choose any other planet or any other creation. I'm not going to choose dogs or cats or elephants to be the thing that I'm going to bring redemption through. No, I've chosen you. You will be mine. 
I will be your God and you will be my people. And he, so he says, no, it's this rock. I promise I will never destroy this earth. I will never destroy these people. I have chosen them. It is not too far gone. Next point is that God remembers his covenant. The covenant is remembered. In verses 12 through 17, we read this beautiful story of when a rainbow appears. It says this, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. What does the rainbow represent? This is what I'm going to crack right here. This rainbow, has anyone seen a rainbow before? Raise your hand. I hope to see everyone's hands in the air. If you have not, let's come chat. There's a great wide world out there, um, and you're missing it. <laughs> a rainbow. What's, when does a rainbow come? Tell me. When does a rainbow come? After rain. After rain. Because these little droplets in the air are kind of like misty, and it's the, it's the light breaking through little rain droplets and making and they become tiny prisms, and that's why this light is reflected and refracted in beautiful ways to make this rainbow. A rainbow comes after the rain. You know what's funny about this is that God says, when I see, God says, when I see a rainbow, I will remember to keep my covenant with you, to never flood the earth again. I feel like this is God winking at all of humanity. Because there's something about that that's kind of um, cheeky, if you will. Like, God is promising, I'll never flood this place again, and I'll remember that when I have a rainbow. It's kind of him saying, guys, I've already remembered it. The rains have stopped. And because the rains have stopped, a rainbow appears. I've I'm on top of it. I'm in control. I've already remembered it. It would be one thing if God said, when I hear thunder and, and I see lightning, I'll remember, stop the floods. I made this covenant with them. That's, that's communicating. God would be like, oh, I forgot. I forgot. Oh, let me, okay, I'm going to calm the waters. I'm going to calm the storms. No, instead, God says, when I see a rainbow, when the rain has already stopped, guys, I've remembered my covenant with you. And what's my covenant? That I'll never destroy this earth again with a flood. And I'll never destroy these people because it is through these people that I will bring redemption. God is saying, oh, I've already remembered I'm in control. When you see a rainbow, the rain has stopped. I'm not going to destroy you. Have confidence in that. Be at peace. Be calm. Also, there's something, something really fun and beautiful about the rainbow. A bow, an archery bow. So the word here is not even rainbow. It's actually just bow, which can mean rainbow. It can also mean like an archery bow. And 
my, one of my favorite characters, Katniss Everdeen. Um, here's the deal. I am an American archer, which means that I can shoot <laughs> a bow and arrow from like 50 yards and hit the target nearly perfectly. Um, does anyone do archery in here? No one else. I am alone. I taught archery for a couple summers. And um, something about archery, one of the first things you tell the little children running around with bows and arrows is that you never point your bow anywhere but the target. So when you're drawing back, you're going to say the target is right back here. I'm aiming for Jordan right back there. I'm going to keep my arrow down and draw it up. I never do this. Never, certainly not this, towards my friends, and certainly not this, backwards. Wherever the arrow is pointing, death is near, and so you're always going to point the arrows towards the target, so much so that even when you're taking the arrows out of the shed, because it's like a shed, it's so janky at my, the camp that I worked at, there's a shed, you grab the arrows and you keep them pointed towards the ground. I would never even point them up towards anyone else. The arrows weren't that sharp, but it was just reminding you, I am never going to point that arrow to anything but the target. When a, when a king, a victorious king, was heading towards the enemy that he had defeated, okay, imagine this. A, a victorious king is heading towards the enemy has defeated. In order to signify that he comes in peace, meaning he's not going to destroy the rest of the people living, so often when an enemy was defeated, there would still be people, maybe children and women, still alive. And so when, an, when, a, when a victorious king was entering into the, the place of an enemy that he had defeated, to signify that he comes in peace, he's not going to go and kill the remaining people who are alive, he would come with the bow pointing towards himself. So imagine this bow flipped around. And this bow would be pointing towards the king, saying, no, 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 I'll fall on this. I'll fall on this sword if I'm, if I'm in the wrong. No, 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 I don't, I don't come to attack. I come in peace. So now imagine this, a rainbow, an archery bow over the earth. Where is that bow pointing? Where is the arrow pointing? That arrow would be pointing up. It's a reminder to all of creation that God has come in peace. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to destroy the rest of you. No, 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 you can be at peace. You are alive. You will stay alive. I am going to bring redemption through you, through this earth. And in fact, it's a symbol of the ultimate death that God will die, saying, even if you break these promises, I will never break the promises. And actually, I'm going to take the fall for your sin. Because we find that the covenant is kept when Jesus Christ came to, to this earth to take on the punishment of our sin, to go to death, to go to the grave, and take on that punishment. The arrow was pointing up to God. God was defeated in that moment just to then turn around and defeat death itself, to rise from the grave and defeat the punishment of sin and death. God kept this covenant. It's a covenant that you're never too far gone. You are never too far gone. 
This earth and all of creation is never too far gone. He's never going to give up on us. And secondly, he's going to take the fall for all of creation in order to make us his. And this isn't just promised to all of humanity, but this is promised to you specifically. In Romans chapter 5, we read how this promise is fulfilled. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be flipping a lot to Romans in this series. It says this. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. We know... Sorry. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were never too far gone. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He comes in peace. The arrow is pointing up towards him. For if while we were enemies with, while we were enemy, sorry, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation that arrow was pointed up towards God. And because Jesus Christ died for our sins, we now get to live fully in freedom as his, as God's daughters and sons. He has never given up on you. And he never will. You are never too far gone. And God has already taken the fall for your sins, past, present, and future. This is the good news. I'm going to pray for you right now as we invite our worship team up to respond in worship to this God that has kept his promises, made incredible promises, and kept them. Would you guys stand with me as I pray over you? God, thank you so much that you are not only a promise maker, but you are a promise keeper. And unlike the promises we make to one another where there are consequences, Lord, you hold up your side of the bargain even when we don't. And so, God, even though we have sinned against you time and time again, even though we have chosen ourselves over you, even though we have stepped outside of the covenant that declares that we are yours and we've decided that we know best, we know right from wrong, good and evil, and we want ourselves to be number one, even though all of that is the case for every single one of these students in this room, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it is true. Even though that is all true, you hold up your side of the bargain and you have said, no, I have made you mine. And God, thank you for sending your son to us to die the death that we deserved, to take the fall, to take on the wrath that we deserved. Lord, thank you for the peace that you've ushered into our lives, for the life that you've brought to us. 
Lord, thank you that so, so many of us in this room have said yes to life with you. And Lord, I just ask if there's any student in this room who is wondering, am I too far gone? Is this too far? Is this too much? Is this, is, will I ever be enough for God? Lord, would they know in this moment that God, we would ever will be enough for you. But that's the beauty of the gospel. We are never enough for you. And yet you have still chosen us and you have said, oh, child, you are mine. I have done everything that needs to be done in order for you to be in relationship with me. God, would this settle in in a new way? Would this be fresh today? And would we praise you and worship you this morning because of these truths that we have come to know deep in our hearts? In your name we pray. Amen.